Welcome to the Mama Matters podcast. Whether you're expecting, you've recently given birth, or you're just starting along your fertility journey, it's time to get down to the nitty gritty and sort fact from fiction. I'm your host, Rosie Dumbrell, physiotherapist and pregnancy expert. Mama Matters aims to provide an easily digestible, up-to-date and evidence-based approach to pregnancy, birth and motherhood with a side dose of humour along the way. With interviews from the industry's leading experts and experience of my own adventures as a mother to three gorgeous boys under four, I want to share the stuff that helps to grow confidence throughout motherhood. Mama Matters is a podcast by Lenny Rose Active and this is what you can expect to hear in upcoming episodes. Being physically active is really important, more than ever at this stage. Um, And I would strongly encourage that. I think that's the only way we're going to keep our mental health intact, really. Welcome. Oh, so excited to be here. First episode of the podcast. Wow. Yeah, this has been bubbling under the surface for quite some time, but I guess just took a little bit of a a push in the right direction from a good friend of mine. But I'm so excited to uh, have a platform on which to share my passion and also my knowledge and experience around pregnancy, birth and motherhood and also call upon my network in this area to provide you with the latest information and a really broad uh, dose of experience uh, to call upon. So yeah, not only my own experience in physiotherapy, prenatal yoga and pregnancy fitness and wellness, but also being a mum to three beautiful little boys uh, in the last four years. I certainly have had my own dose of you know pregnancy insomnia and you know being up at 2am googling this and that and it really is my mission that uh, women do not need to turn to Dr Google and they have an easily digestible up-to-date and evidence-based approach to our pregnancy birth and motherhood with a side dose of humor along the way. <laughs> so our first guest is Dr Guy Skinner and he is a Melbourne-based obstetrician and his specialties over his years of practice are in twins, breech delivery, high-risk pregnancy and laparoscopic surgery. He has a passion and enjoyment for his profession that sees him strive to provide the best possible care for both mother and baby and a philosophy that knowledge is confidence. Having been cared for under Dr. Skinner for my most recent two pregnancies, I really couldn't go past calling on his expertise uh, for today's interview, uh, given he has such a cool, calm and collected nature and having felt just so respected, listened to and certainly not over intervened with, but knowing that I was at the hands of an incredible level of experience throughout the pregnancy and birthing process. So today, Dr. Guy Skinner joins us to talk about pregnancy and COVID-19. Due to the nature of our interviews being done remotely at the moment, there is a tiny bit of background noise in this upcoming episode that we do want to apologize for, but rest assured, quality is of the utmost importance to us and we will ensure that your ears are well looked after along the way. So yeah, I've been following pretty closely the topic around pregnancy, yeah, newborn, breastfeeding and sort of COVID-19, but I haven't really come across the stats on incidence of pregnancy and COVID-19, either sort of globally or around Australia. Do you have any sort of data on what the numbers are? Uh, look, the best, the best data we've had so far is out of China and of mm. course we're getting data now out of Italy. 
Um, mm. And also we'll probably get a good dribble out of data coming out of England in reference to pregnancy outcomes and process mm. Um, mm. during COVID-19. Mm. I think the, the data coming out of China is certainly um, just on raw figures, the best volume we've got. And it always mm. takes a months for that to come out. But uh, looking mm. at pregnancy outcomes, nothing really has changed much, which is fortunate, obviously, because the, the previous SARS epidemic and the um, swine flu, we had huge changes in um, risk to mothers. I personally had women on ventilators um, because mm. they were pregnant and had the swine flu. That was very, very nasty in Melbourne. Mm. Um, so yeah. that, that previously was a huge risk, but this mm. currently doesn't appear to have the same instance of problems, despite the fact that during pregnancy you're immunosuppressed. Um, yes. They don't seem to react and, and um, in the same way as the elderly and other immunosuppressed people do. Mm, yeah, because obviously, um, you know, respiratory, in a respiratory sense, um, women are often a lot more vulnerable in pregnancy um, as well. Absolutely. So that's absolutely um, they can't they can't take a deep breath, of course, once they're in the third trimester, and mm. they struggle to cough and they um, they struggle to move. So you've got all of those features, but the key thing is this virus doesn't appear to cause the lung inflammation and the water mm. saturation that it does in the elderly. So it's, mm. it's the way the lung responds to the virus and how much it opens up an inflammatory response that causes mm. the lungs to get so congested and then, of course, they, you can't ventilate the oxygen. Having said that, if you're 36 weeks pregnant and, you, and you're needing to be ventilated on a machine, that's mm. extremely difficult. I've had women who've been ventilated at that stage and it's very hard to do it. So they are more vulnerable mm. in that sense, but they don't mm. need to have any more incidence of ventilation than the normal population. Okay, well, that's that's comforting to know. What do we know about COVID-19 in newborns? Newborns are certainly mm. getting it, and we believe it's through horizontal transmission. That is, once the baby's out, they're getting it from the Yes. Um, but mm. that isn't causing um, an increase in uh, problems for the baby. So there's a number of positive babies um, and neonates that have had it, but they don't get the same issues. Um, it's a very mild disease in, in those they, they don't get the lung inflammation. We don't have a huge fear for the baby if it does contact it. In China, yeah. they had two schools of thought. One was to keep the baby with the mother and mm. allow for a horizontal transmission. And the other one was to take the baby away for two weeks, bottle feed the baby, keep it completely separate to the infected mother and or father and give the baby to other members of the family to look after for two weeks. Mm. That second option didn't appear to improve the outcome for the baby. So... Mm. It, our thought in Australia and our policy in Australia is to keep the baby with the mother and if horizontal transmission occurs, we're not too stressed about it. Obviously, there'll be due precaution. The neonatologists will be monitoring it, but mm. we don't think that um, it's going to cause an excess in big problems. And the stress of taking the baby away from the mother is just too great. It's just oh, I know. It's, isn't it? I can't. I actually can't imagine having to go mm. through that. But um, I know the Centre for Disease Control um, did have some recommendation around separating um, women who have tested positive for COVID-19 and their newborn babies or if they were a person of um, under investigation, mm. but they also sort of um, had you know, as a caveat that it would to be, um, you know, taken under individual case. Yeah, but um, yeah. And I know in America it seems like it's happening, um, so that's separation. But, yeah, um, that's right. It's sort yeah. of equivocal whether to do it or not. Given our setup, we don't believe that 
it's going to be that much of an advantage and the, the risk mm. reduction is too small to consider given the stress it causes on the family and the mother in particular, obviously. Um, so currently in Australia, they're not the, the protocol is to not separate correct. Um, mother and baby. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, okay. and that's, that's a, a government policy and it's our college policy in the College of Pediatrics. Um, oh, that's policy. great. Great. So know. it's definitely yep. not. Uh, I mean, that mother could choose to do that, but nobody mm. would advise that as being a material benefit. So the downside okay. is just enormous. So we think it's just keep them together. And look, similarly mm. for breastfeeding, there's no evidence that COVID travels in breast milk. It's not excreted into the breast milk from the mm. mother. So giving and breast milk as yeah. such is no harm. One thought is to express the milk and then give it in a bottle by mm. an infected person. So that can Somebody be else. as mm. an option. Um, mm. That's a reasonable thing. The other thing is to put a, an N95 mask over the mother all due precaution mm-hmm. about trying to restrict horizontal transmission and just breastfeeding as normal. So mm, that's yeah. also a good option. Yeah, and there's so you're also um, just jumping back a little bit. There's no um, at the moment the data doesn't look like there's any vertical transmission. So transmission um, of the to the new of the unborn baby um, in the uterus at the moment. The way the um, virus gets into the human cell is through the ACE2 receptor. Um, and that isn't found at all on the human placenta. So there's, in theory, no way it can vertically go through whilst the woman's pregnant. And of of the babies that we've found within an hour or two of birth having been tested positive for coronavirus in their blood, Mm. what that's actually probably occurred, what we think has occurred, is that's early transmission through the birthing process, be it a vaginal birth or a caesarean section. The the fluids Mm. and blood from the mother, of course, the baby can ingest. Mm-hmm. and um, as a process can get the virus that way. So we believe that's the way it's coming rather than through the placenta prior to birth. So at the moment they haven't done any – the only way you could de- define if the baby's going to truly get it before birth would be to do an amniocentesis where you stick the, mm-hmm. and get the blood from the baby and actually prove that the baby's blood contains it. So at the moment, because we don't have any evidence of the receptor there, we think that it can't have vertical transmission. Okay. Yeah, well, that's also got to give a little bit of comfort. Given the fact that it causes quite a lot of illness in some people and very high fevers, that can have an, in, an increased incidence on miscarriage in first mm. trimester. So I must admit there's that issue that that uh, potentially will come to the fore over the next 6 to 12 months where we get some data out about that. But very much a, a severe illness, respiratory illness in the first trimester can cause a miscarriage. So yeah. that, that can be a concern. But that, it's very hard to control that. Mm, and we obviously don't, yeah, don't have a lot of data on that. I'm, the data I was mm. looking at um, is mostly of women in the third trimester, yeah. um, and obviously around sort of birth, um, etc. But yeah, so we also yeah. we don't we don't advise either cesarean or vaginal birth. We don't appear doesn't appear that either one gives a necessary benefit at this stage. Again, the yeah. data might come out in the long term showing one advantage of one or the other, mm-hmm. but uh, in the same way as HIV um, transmission is reduced with caesarean section over vaginal birth in those babies. We mm-hmm. may find that eventually that might be the case, but currently we don't have any evidence to suggest that. Okay. And so, yeah, from an obstetric point of view, um, uh, like antenatal care, um, is there sort of any sort of major differences that a woman can no, expect? No. I mean, no. given when she, if and when she contact, contracts the virus, um, obviously, due observation, making sure that there's no issues with the baby, would probably do extra ultrasounds and mm-hmm. monitoring if, if she became quite unwell with it, just to make sure that 
the rest of the blood perfusion to the baby and the well-being and the growth of the baby is all normal. There's mm-hmm. some evidence that out of China there was a few babies born delivered early. And mm-hmm. again, that may be associated with women who got severe disease in the third trimester, say from mm-hmm. 36 weeks onwards, something like that. But okay. um, And they may need to be delivered because they're just hard, it's harder to ventilate them at that stage. Mm-hmm. But it does, the data is not big enough to say that that's definitely going to be the case. Yeah, okay. Just before we finish up, I know that there's um, some angst around perhaps the reduction of uh, number of people that are al- allowed to attend a woman's um, antenatal appointments and all their birth. Do you know what's happening with that in Australia at the moment? Is a support person still able to attend the birth like a doula or? Look, at the moment, this is a bit of a moving feast, but it's mm. all about cross-contamination between all the individuals and mm. trying to reduce the risk of um, exposure to staff and myself mm. included in, uh, yes. in settings. So the least people there from that perspective, the more effective that becomes. Obviously, mm. the, if, a, if a woman's infected or a partner's infected, the, the cross-contamination within a household is very high. So yes. if you or your husband have it, then it's almost certainly that the other person will contact contract it very quickly. Mm. So we believe that having the partner there doesn't really overall change the risk profile if someone's in question or has been proven to have the virus. But having mm-hmm. extra people there, we don't sort of suggest. Um, so what about for the just the standard um, non, um, you know, someone who's not um, no, thought to have or? Yep. So no, yeah. no extra people are currently allowed in any so that's a statewide health department policy. So the only yeah. people who are allowed there is just the department. So it's absolute bare minimum, both either at appointments, and I know some people and some doctors have even banned partners being at appointments, but I mm. believe that currently that's a bit harsh. And, um, yes. again, it's the same thing. If one's infected, almost certainly the other one's going to Anyway, yeah. Mm. And um, what about, so say someone's got a doula lined up and obviously that means that they're not kind of going to be able to go through with that. Um, Would they be able to FaceTime that person into the birth or like how could they sort of still access that support or call on them during the birth? Yeah. Absolutely. They certainly could do a run of FaceTime. Or Zoom or something like that. Yeah. Other family members. There's certainly no problems. It's just in the flesh, I think, just not being as sensible at the moment. But certainly they could do that and still get advice and support. no harm in doing anything like that. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And then, yeah, just to finish up, what is there any sort of um, additional precautions um, that a pregnant woman can take other than obviously all of the usual hand and respiratory hygiene and self-isolating? Is there anything else that you can suggest that they can do to help themselves or is that sort of pretty much, um, you know? Look, that's, that's the main? key thing to decrease exposure and I think um, staying healthy and well and staying active. I mean, this is a huge stress. I mean, we talk about the virus, but the huge stress of isolation, social mm. distancing. Um, mental health side of Mental things. health is a very big part of it. And I think it's so important to get out and about and do things whilst you're still keeping to that social distancing policy, keeping mm. out and walking and doing things, but it's separate to everyone. I mean, you're not going to catch it by walking along the street or walking in a park by yourself or with one other person well away from you. So we'd strongly mm. encourage still to be physically active. And I think mental health often does come through physical health. So I think that's really 100%. Important. And if people yeah. don't, yeah, if people just sit there, their, their mood and their feelings and their anxieties and their fears are only going to grow further. And I think 100%. Other that's not going to have a positive effect either, is it? Yeah. So, And so mm. many family and friends, unfortunately, can sometimes undermine their confidence when they really should be supporting them and being involved in how they're feeling and what they're doing and so forth. But being physically active is really important more than ever at this stage. 
Um, 100%, and yeah. I, I'd strongly mm. encourage that. I think that's the only way we're going to keep our mental health intact, really. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. There's music to my ears. So, yeah, mm. <laughs> great. Um, well, you know, I feel like there are a lot of um, positive take-homes from um, from that. So thank you so much for um, yeah, just right. enlightening right. us a little bit more. I think pregnancy is a time, even as like someone who is myself, a health professional, I still would Google in the middle of the night quite frequently knowing that I shouldn't be doing that. So I think we need as much. Yeah, um, yeah that's know. right. Sometimes you've got to get a perspective on it all, what really is. A hundred percent, yeah. Someone who can just bring all that information mm. together and yeah so um so grateful that you could take the time out today busy and also five kids yourself so really not sure how you do it but (laughs) if you've got any tips on how to like turn up so dapper in the morning after three hours sleep i would absolutely (laughs) love those (laughs) i don't know how i do it too sometimes but anyway i'm still remembering like after like having leo i think you're in it like 6.30 6.30 at night and then maybe like 10 o'clock and then you delivered him about 1.30 and yeah. then had to go do a couple of C-sections and then came back in to say something at 4 o'clock and then you went home and you'd also been to the gym and you are back at 9 a.m. with a smile on your face <laughs> looking fresh-faced. <laughs> you got to keep active. It's an important thing. Oh, I'm like how that. the hell do you do that? Anyway, Bruce. that's, again, you know, a whole other, whole other topic of conversation. <laughs> oh, thank you again so much. And, um, no trouble, you know, Rosie. Maybe we'll chat again before I have the fourth baby. You never know. <laughs> Settle. <laughs> Settle for the time, baby. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much. Life. I'll chat Take with you care. soon. No yeah, trouble. cheers. You too. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. It really is such an incredible and almost surreal time that we are living through at the moment. And my heart really goes out to all the pregnant and new mamas out there. Can't imagine what it would be like uh, going through this um, in such a vulnerable period. Uh, I do have three of my own children and the youngest of which is only nine months at the moment. And, you know, that is definitely quite, um, it's quite a scary time, but I do really believe passionately that uh, knowledge is confidence and uh, having access to you know up-to-date and the right information can really help us to understand how to act and how to move forward in the best way rather than moving and acting out of fear and panic. So I really hope that you found Dr. Guy's information uh, really helpful and found some solace in some of the information around you know things not being maybe perhaps quite so dire if we were to contract pre- uh, COVID-19 in pregnancy and also just to gain a little bit of understanding or context around why policies have moved the way that they have in Australia. So if you would like to reach out further to Dr. Skinner, head on over to his website or you can also reach out to him on his social handles. I'll be popping all of those details in the show notes. Our next guest is Dr. Amanda Waldike, who is a Chinese medicine doctor and fertility specialist. And we're going to be chatting or delving into uh, fertility and COVID-19 or how fertility treatment in particular has been affected by recent policies around elective surgery. And, you know, not only provide you with, I guess, the, the background and the why behind current policies, but also provide you with um, some ways that you can support yourself naturally and stay as positive as possible throughout this incredibly challenging time. Thanks so much for joining. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, please uh, share us on your social media and hashtag Mama Matters. And we hope to chat to you again soon. Bye-bye.